On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. The Jericho Network on Westwood One. You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Rock Talk. Welcome to another episode of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon here on Westwood One. Joining me this week from the band Stone Temple Pilots, it is singer Jeff Goot. Also from the Gin Blossoms, we have Jesse Valenzuela, and we have also from POD, Sonny Sandoval. A lot of great stuff, but on the phone with me is my co-host this week, the one, the only, Mark Striegel from Talking Metal. Good day, Mark. Hey, Mitch. How are you? Good. It's nice to have you here. I mean, I know we do our our uh, Mark and Mitch show, and we've done a whole bunch of other stuff. We covered M3 together and stuff, but uh, yeah, I believe this might be your first time here on Rock Talk, right? No, I uh, there was one okay. other time. I'm trying to remember if oh, it was yeah, a Guns yeah, yeah. N' Roses thing, but but That's there was right. at least one other time, yes. Well, see, well, Glenn, glad to have you back. Now, of course, you are coming to my neck of the woods in uh, Montreal at the end of July for Montreal 77, the punk festival with Rise Against and Suicidal Tendencies. Yes. And then you're going to Stick around for Heavy Montreal because we've got, uh, why, Rob Zombie, Marilyn Manson, Avenged Sevenfold, and a very, very rare appearance by the band Emperor. They played North America four or five times in 2006, I believe, but really haven't been in this part of the world on a tour tour since 1999. Uh, and I want to party like it's 1999 at, at, <laughs> at, at Heavy Montreal, don't you? So that'll, that'll yeah. be unique. And of course, I've got my good friends in Helix and Lee Aaron that are going to be yeah. there. So that, that'll be a, a great time. But uh, let, let's get over quickly here to Stone Temple Pilots. They have a, a new singer, a new album. Um, talk to me a little bit about that. Are, are you a fan? What, what do you think of this, of this new vocalist and this new sort of lineup change for the band? I think I think it's uh, I think it's great. You know, I saw them with both of their previous singers going way back to the 90s. I remember seeing Stone Temple play Madison Square Garden in like 96 sold out and uh, Joe Perry and Steven Tyler jumping up on stage with them at that show. And then I saw them in more recent years with uh, with uh, what was it? Chester, Chester from Chester Lincoln Bennington, Park. right? Yeah, playing with them both, and I mean Scott Whalen and, and Chester now both tragically gone, and Stone Temple Pilots is still here, and I, I'm I'm excited for this new beginning of the band, and hoping that they can continue to bring us new music and keep all those old classics alive. Because I mean, they always, you know, in the '90s. They always got um, a little bit of uh, pushback from the media for not being like an authentic Seattle band. But in some ways, I, I thought that their their music was among the best of that whole kind of alternative grunge movement, if you will. Yeah, it really was. And of course, uh, Robert DeLeo uh, does um, Hollywood 
um, what is it? Hollywood Vampires with Alice Cooper and Joe Perry. Yes. Yeah. And, I don't, I, he's not on the road with him now, but right. He uh, he did do that. Was that Robert DeLeo? I'm trying to remember which yeah, DeLeo brother. Yeah, it, it was Robert. Yeah. The, and he does Delta there. Deep with Phil Collin of. of oh, Death that's Leopard. right. Yeah, so so yeah. He's, he's a busy boy. But, yeah, you know, I've always been diverse. intrigued. Very diverse. And I've been very intrigued by the band because uh, my first introduction to them was somebody played one of their songs and said, Hey man, that sounds like Kiss's War Machine. What do you think? And it was like, yeah, you're right. It sort of does sound like Kiss's War Machine. But right, you know, a great band. And and I look back in my history of of interviews and and episodes. And when I used to do the one on one with Mitch Lafond thing, I had an episode with Scott Whelan and Lemmy. Yeah, uh, those those were my yeah. two guests. And the episode came out and. You know, within whatever it was, five or six months, they had both passed away. And it was like, yeah, holy mackerel. I totally um, remember that episode. I got to go back and listen to that. Yeah, yeah that, that was sort of like this this strange and it's like, uh oh, you know, am I cursed now? But, uh, right. <laughs> you know, anyway, but back to the good times, though. The band is out on tour on the uh, Revolution 3 tour that also features Bush and the Cult, which, you know, it's it's. It's a great package. The problem with it, and and I don't want to be negative, it's only twenty dates. I mean, wow. why why is this not sixty dates? I mean, this this should be all over the place, right? Yeah, I mean uh, that's and that's a great lineup. I think they're playing in New Jersey. I think it's the same weekend. I'll be up there at uh, yeah. having Montreal, so I'm not going to be able to make that. But that I think that's a really really good lineup um, of of three bands that kind of are are different, but are going to have some similar fan base and yeah, it's shocking that they wouldn't be out for, for longer than a short tour. Yeah. So let's hope it's, you know, leg one of many legs to come. Cause I think it's just going to be a, a fun package. Uh, they are in Canada in Toronto at the Budweiser stage on July 25th, your date that you were talking about at the PNC bank arts center, right. is July 28th. Yeah. Unfortunately you will. Well, no, I don't want to say, unfortunately you're going to be up in Montreal with me at heavy Montreal. That's, that's not a bad yeah. trade-off, quite frankly. So. Yeah, I cannot wait to do some interviews. We're going to be set up in the press tent doing video, audio for Talking Metal, and of course for this show, um, Rock Talk with Mitchell Fawn. It's going to be a great weekend at Heavy Montreal. Yeah, so it's going to be a great weekend. Everybody's going to be having a great time. You know, people in New Jersey, people in Montreal. So let's uh, let's get over to my interview with new singer Jeff. Goot. We are speaking with Stone Temple Pilot singer Jeff Goot. Jeff, absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thank you, you too, man. So, uh, talk to me about being in the Stone Temple Pilots because there's got to be this incredible sense of pressure. Am I wrong that you know they've had these two vocalists beloved? Do you feel this pressure coming in, or is it just you know this gig and you sort of yeah. just do what you do? Yeah, I've, I've, I've you know. Struggled long enough that, and, and I've learned learned a lot of things the hard way. So, so for now, it's just it's just more of a celebration of everything that they've accomplished, and me finally getting to this point, and all of those things coming together. And and you know, at the end of the day, I I, I know how to sing, so I don't have to worry about that. You know, so <laughs> if I didn't know what I was doing, then I would probably be a lot more nervous and feel more pressure. But um, it's uh more of a celebration vibe you know it's more of um looking back at everything they've, they've accomplished and, and moving forward it really is so so talk to me about the audition process yeah they um when they started the audition process they they had an open call and they took submissions from all around the world um 
I think they had like 15 to 20,000 submissions that they all went through and they went through them themselves, you know, they didn't have management do it. Uh, but I wasn't in there because I was, uh, I was overseas at the time with a different project that I was doing. So, um, when I got back and they hadn't found anyone yet, um, you know, a few months had gone by and I, I called up some friends and said, Hey, they were fine to sing it. And they're like, uh, you know what? I'm not sure. I'll, but they had a connection to the management and then, a friend of mine went to see Robert when he was playing with um, Hollywood Vampires in Detroit, and uh, he mentioned my name to him and after the show, and and that was pretty much how I I got in the room, and then I was like one of the last guys that that um, that auditioned because they brought in you know people that they had from the um, submissions, and I was I was one of the last people to walk in, and and uh, they, I think it had seven songs they gave us, and, uh, and uh, yeah, I just went in and did that and. And then that that started the the process of really auditioning for the band because it, you know, it was more it was more personal. You know, they wanted to get to know me, and I, I mean, to get to know them, and and then the writing process and all those things had to had to click before before they could make you know such a big decision. So let's talk about the new album, Stone Temple Pilots. Uh, you know, usually when a band, especially and and you know a heritage act for the lack of a better word, replaces a singer, they will go out on tour for two, three, four years before thinking of making an album. Sometimes they won't even bother making a new album. Why do you think it was important for for the band to get right in there and have new music with you as the singer and not do a greatest hits tour for two, three, four, five, et cetera years? Yeah, I think uh, you know they they've um they've been off long enough and they have enough music on, under their belt that they wanted to they wanted to keep making new music, you know, and they had so many ideas um that were, you know, kicking around for so long and they were, you know, finally the chance to to put them out and and you know, like I said, part of the audition process was seeing them to see how I could write, so that was an important um part to, of who they were going to get. Uh so if you know, if we wouldn't went and played greatest hits for, for three years and then got in the studio and I couldn't write, then it would have been the wrong decision. So um, we had to figure that out in the beginning, you know, and, and, then, and then, you know, just making a record just kind of happened, you know, it was, uh, it was part of the process of auditioning. So I had to get in there and, and come show them how I can come up with ideas and, and how I work that, that way. And, um, and next thing you know, we had a record finished. So um, it all worked out. Yeah, it really did. So, um, talk to me also about them and, with the writing process. Do they just let you write and, and listen to your songs, or do they say, okay, listen, Scott Whelan wrote this way. Stone Temple Pilot songs are supposed to be like this. Did, did they sort of throw you in a box, or did you yeah, have a freedom? Okay. No, not at all. Yeah, they, they, they were very open to, to my process of how I work, you know, because I at the end of the day, it's still the same process, you know, to the music first, and then, and then, you know, uh, I would just listen to it and get a vibe, and that would they let the music dictate where to go, you know. So uh, I like to feel that I probably, probably not that far off from where, where Scott or Chester would have taken it, but you know, uh, it's, you know, we'll never know. But um, you know, I just, I just go in there and do my thing the best I can. Does that apply for for vocally as well? You just get to be Jeff. Or are there certain sounds and timbers and, and vocal phrasings that you sort of have to imitate and mimic to be the Stone Temple Pilot singer? No, it's a, it's it's about more than that actually. Just because um, 
you know, Scott used a lot of his influences when he was singing. You know, he would he would find different characters for each song, and that was that was part of his genius was his ability to to really develop into each song into its own character and its own pers- persona, so to speak. Um, and that's something that I've always done as well, you know, and other singers do that too. So, uh, um, yeah, it was a very natural fit, and I pretty much just went in and did my thing, and, and they would have, you know, suggestions here and there, um, you know, or stylings or little things like that, but it was never really about Scott. It was more of, sometimes it was about other things. Now, you mentioned uh, Robert DeLeo and Hollywood Vampires. He also does uh, Delta Deep with uh, Phil Collin of Death Leopard. For you, though, are you committed to Stone Temple Pilots uh, solely, or do you still want to have that freedom to do a solo album or another band album? Or you know, sort of, how do you see yourself evolving uh, musically on a more personal level? Yeah, well, uh, when I started this uh, the audition process for Stone Temple Pilots, I was I had a band that I was in, but and we were like right in the middle of making the record, and I had to, I had to basically put the brakes on, and I couldn't tell anyone why. I mean, the guys in the band knew, but I couldn't tell anyone. You know, there was some label interest, and I couldn't tell them why I was disappearing for, for the next year and a half. So they all thought I lost my mind, you know. They thought I was Sid Barrett out there, like, freaking out, you know. And uh, and then finally when it came out that I was singing the Stone Temple Pilots, they were like, okay, that makes sense, you know. So, uh, but, I mean, right now I'm just concentrating on Stone Temple Pilots, of course, but uh, I, I would like to finish that record at some point in my life just because I don't like to leave things unfinished. So somewhere down the line, uh, when when uh, when uh, STP takes a break and I have some spare time on my hands, I'd like to get in there and finish that with those guys and uh, and see, you know, just just to finish it with them. So, you know, just because I got the Stone Temple Pilots thing, I don't really, really feel like that's a reason to leave those guys in the lurch either, you know, and and kind of walk away from something that we started together. So, yeah. at some point, I'll finish that. Yeah, I mean, and and, and you know, it's, it'll be it'll be uh, great for the project because you'll have this this great name attached to it. Now, of course, uh, Stone Temple Pilots head out on tour with Bush and the Cult, the Revolution Three, a tour. It comes up to Canada here on July twenty fifth. Just talk to me a little bit about the tour and being out with bands like Bush and the Cult. I mean, that is sort of a power threesome right there. Yeah, there's just so much history of songs. Like we did the uh, we did the, um, the launch party in Los Angeles a couple months ago, and it seems like a couple months ago, forever ago. But uh, you know, we each went up and played three songs. But they had they had everyone's records like all the way around the room, and it was a pretty big room. So <laughs> and just seeing the history and how many records every each band has made and you know, the amount of songs on those records and the radio hits. and I mean, it's just so many great songs that to go out there every night and be able to listen to Sanctuary when you really, like, <laughs> it's just even cooler than that. So, um, really, yeah, really looking forward to it. Yeah, I think it should, I think it's going to be a great tour. Uh, you know, Dean has said that the band would have called it quits if they hadn't found the right singer to replace Whelan and Bennington. Uh, talk to me about what makes you the right singer for the band. What is, is it about you that really um, is going to keep this band going? Uh, you know, it's just I have a I have a long history with music, and and you know, I started playing guitar when I was six, and so I've, I've written records, I've recorded records, you know, just for the fun of it, and you know, when I wasn't getting anything for it, you know, um, 
just uh, for my love of music, and it's it's what I would be doing whether I was in Stone Temple Pilots or doing something else. So um, I feel like you know, it's just my 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 appreciation, humility towards music is is the main thing. Um, you know, put the, put the music first, and 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 let the rest take care of itself. I feel like that's very important to have, and, and I have a lot of experience. You know, I mean, I've I've been to the ringer a couple of times, so I know what it's like, and and. Uh, Kind of know, know what to expect on the business side, and, and you know, there's nothing, nothing, you know, um, catching me by surprise these days. So, uh, yeah, I just feel like I'm, I'm well-rounded, you know, to be uh, in this position to take it in as far in the future as they want to go. Yeah, well, and hopefully it'll go, it'll go um, a long time. But uh, talk to me about that yeah. experience because you did have these other bands that you were involved with. You did, you know, you had Dry Cell, Rival City. You did the X Factor. What kept you going? Why at some point do you not look around and say, okay, you know, may, maybe it's time to go to Home Depot and fill out an application. You know, what, what keeps you, right? I mean, what keeps you motivated? The music business. It's, 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 it's the fact that, 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 I, that I am good at it, you know, and, and I, I could never get in my car from my nine to five job and drive home and turn on the radio and say, yeah, I could have done that, you know. So I think we get one, we get one chance at this, life thing so you know might as well roll the dice and uh and uh take take chances but were there moments in those chances where you where you threw up you threw up your hands and just said i can't do this anymore i just can't it's, well, it's, it's more of a thing where you know when you're when you're when you graduate high school you know your, your friends go off to college but i went to start playing bar bands you know and then uh and then uh, when I was when I moved up to, to the club bands, you know, like my friends were all getting married and buying houses and having kids, and you know, you kind of feel like you're getting left behind on a lot of those things. So it takes a lot, uh, a lot of fortitude to stick with your plan. Um, sometimes it can get very down. You can get very down, and you know, it can be very depressing. But other times it's like, oh yeah, this is this obviously why I did this, you know, and and uh, to have it pay off in such a astounding way, I could have never guess that, but. Uh, uh, but I was ready for it, and that's that's what it came down to. So, um, so yeah, I mean, all those years of singing in, in in bars and clubs just so I could pay my rent, you know, and I would have to play six nights a week, that helped me because now when I play six nights a week with Stone Temple Pilots, I'm able to get two sets, and, you know, I have the chops to the vocal ability to do it. Talk to me, though, about the challenges of having your own band because, you know, Dry Cell, Rival City, they, you know, they made a little bit of noise, but they didn't get obviously to a level of Stone Temple Pilots or a Kiss or an Aerosmith or anything like that. What are some of the challenges for a new band? How does a band get noticed? How, how do they get on interviews like this and, and get on Westwood One and get, uh, you know, in Billboard's Top 100? Yeah, I think the access comes down to, you know, the authenticity of the music and you know you have to you have to stay true and if you, you know you don't go up there to fake anything you go up there to to, to bear your soul instead of sell it you know and i think if you do that you know, that's how that's how you get to the, that plateau and it's hard it's hard now anyway you know with the, with the internet and the way it's all changed and the way people buy music and you know it's not like people are selling you know 10 million records anymore uh so um it's it's, it's the scene has changed the the goals change you know so uh you just have to you have to roll with it and and uh find ways to 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 redefine success for yourself and, and what that means and and um at the end of the day you know it's not about you know the jacuzzis and the limousines you know it's about it's about just writing a great song 
Yeah, and of course, hard work. It takes a lot of hard work, and and it, and it does. Absolutely. It does point to the live performance as being essential because I've I've been to, you know, hundreds of shows in the last couple of years, and there are some bands that stand there like trees, and you go, what What are they doing? You have to. Um, yeah. In terms of performance for you, how conscious are you aware of? outfit and moving around and and crowd interaction and crowd participation i mean and not just be you know jeff tree because we we can't do that yeah. right yeah yeah well i mean every 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 crowd is different you know and even if you play the same set list and and you can have your little things that you say here and there for each song and those things are you know different as compared to feeling the energy of the crowd and 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 what the what they're what they're vibing off of that day, you know. And sometimes they love the sometimes they love the slow song, and then sometimes it's the it's the punk rock song, and sometimes it's the heavy song. You know, it just depends on the crowd, and and, and you can read that, you can feel that, you can feel that energy coming back at you, and and, and so I mean I don't really think about I mean I don't think about my outfit after I put it on. So that's pretty much it, you know. And, I just go up there and, and I don't I don't really think about much except for the energy of the crowd and what what they're giving back to me. Um, and other than that, it's just it's just more freedom as opposed to regiment. Right now, I know we're we're we have twenty minutes. We're down to three minutes here, so I'll, I'll ask you this: uh, the X Factor, uh, yeah. great TV show or great platform for singers? I mean, is it really? You know, is it is it a good good platform for a guy like you to get out there and get known? Or at the end of the day, it's just a TV show, and you know. I mean, if it wasn't, you know, what, who knows where I'd be if it wasn't for that, you know. And and, and those guys never even watched. The guys in STP never even watched it, so um, so it was completely unrelated. Um, but you know, at 36, and I had been out of the out of the scene for a few years, and if you're out of the scene for a couple of years, you know, it, the changeover in the music industry is so incredible that you know you don't even know who you know anymore. So. So it was a great platform for me, and and see you know how how many people it actually takes to put out a production like that, and the behind the scenes parts, and the hundreds of people that are working their asses off to try to you know get out get out that two minute song that you're doing. It's pretty incredible, you know, and uh, to see the synergy and, and the teamwork and all those things are all things that I've carried with me and and uh, have helped me in new endeavors. Right, they really have. And uh, I'll finish on this. Uh, you know, Stone Temple Pilots, the album came out uh, back in the spring. Do you want to get right back in there and have another new album in 2019 and have these songs that are your songs, your composition, your voice? Or is this one of these, let it ride for two, three years, we'll do a live album, get my voice on the classic songs. Um, how do you sort of see the, the trail ahead of you? Um, you know what? It's all about feel. It's like, you know, we've, I've written a couple songs with, uh, song ideas with Robert and a couple with Dean and, and I have a couple of my own. And, um, and when that, when that time is right, we'll know, um, there's, there's some good songs that we haven't even gotten to, uh, yeah, on, the, on the new record. So I'd like to, you know, find ways to play those out live. Um, you know, things like, uh, there to letting go and thought should be mine, like songs like that. We have, um, be great to do those in more of an acoustic setting and uh you know maybe maybe that'll lead to an acoustic record you'll never know but um you know uh just kind of take it as it comes and and, and go with what feels right i think that's that's the main thing if you try to fit the, the round peg in the square hole it's not it's not going to fit so um yeah. try to go with uh how we feel 
Yeah, I agree. And uh, hopefully the uh, the tour will will get to Montreal at some point. But absolute pleasure talking to you. Hopefully next time we'll have a little more time. This this was more of a sprint, but I loved it. And uh, great yeah, success, yeah. by the Thank way. You. Just It's so exciting to see somebody like you get a chance. And, you know, I root for, and I don't want to call you an underdog, but I'm going to call you an underdog. I root for the underdog, and I just wish you all the best. It's it's well, it's nice well, to I'm, see. I am us, you know what I mean? It's like we are, uh, it's like me making it is like like everyone making it a little bit, you know? Yeah, yeah well, it sells it, right? it sells a dream. That, that dream's alive, and if it can happen to Jeff, it can happen to a lot of other folks out there because, uh, you know, never stop dreaming. Exactly. Jeff at 40, 40 years old, too, I might add. That's young. That's still young. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I'm not, not in the music, not in musical terms when you're trying to, trying to you know, um, establish yourself. So, you, well, that's usually when you're, when you're cruising, doing your hits. Right. Well, 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 you're doing good. The album is great. Fans are digging it. And uh, Jeff, absolute pleasure. I know we are out of time, so thank you so, so much. And uh, let's do this again you, real soon. Absolutely. Love to. Cheers. Thanks, man. Bye bye. This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn. And a very big thank you to Jeff Goot of Stone Temple Pilots. Do check out their current tour with Bush and the Cult. I, I wish it was more than 20 dates, but you know what? Beggars can't be choosers. And so I will choose to go see that if I can get to a, to a show in my part of the world, Mark. Yeah. Great to have you back. Uh, we are going to move on from. Stone Temple Pilots, over to P.O.D., Payable On Demand. The band is out with Buck Cherry Lit and Alien Ant Farm on the Gen X wow. Summer Tour. I will be seeing that day, uh, uh, that show, I should say, on July 30th at uh, in Watertown, New York. And uh, it's going to be a little bit exciting for me because it's going to be Montreal 77, the festival, followed by Heavy Montreal, the festival, followed by Day 2 of Heavy Montreal, and then a 500-kilometer drive out to uh, Watertown, New York. So four festivals wow. in four days. Oh, it's going to be... <laughs> how, how long a drive is that? Like, like it's a, No, 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 no. I mean, it, it's about three and a half hours. Three and a half, okay. Yeah, so I'm looking at... I'm looking at uh, a little over 500 kilometers there and back because I come right. home the same night, and it's but it's going to be after th- three days of heavy Montreal festivals, and and I don't know about where you are down in Jersey, but up here we are in drought conditions. It hasn't rained. Are you? It, oh yeah, it hasn't rained in about a month. Uh, they're talking about crop losses and millions of dollars of uh, you know uh, of crops and 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 agriculture losses, and it has been. Today it's supposed to be about 38 Celsius, which which puts us around 99, 100, and it's sort of been like that for about a month. It's it's just unbelievably hot and 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 miserable, and I'm sure that heavy Montreal it's just not going to break. So it's going to be three days of these intense heats, and then right over to Watertown. So it's going to be yeah. fun. But uh, but hey, Pod, their last album, The Awakening, came out in 2015. They are, of course, best known for their album Satellite from 2001, which had the big hit Alive. Right. And it also had the distinction, um, the unceremonious distinction, of being released on September 11th, 2001. And uh, mm. yeah, <laughs> Boy, oh boy. And, and I do talk to, uh, to Sonny about that during the interview because, first of all, September 11th is my dad's birthday. And, and um, you know, it's th- that and, of course, that day. And, and, but I think they got the attention 
Uh, and we talk, like I said, we talk about it with Sonny in the interview, but that song Alive came out at that time. And I think it, it was a good moment or a good message of hope. And so the, the, the song uh, drew people in with its, with its positive message in a, in a very, yeah. very dark time in American history. So, you know, um, for you, though, what does P.O.D. mean? Is, is that is that a band that you've that you've listened to over the years or, or do you know the song Alive or Boom and go, yeah, man, those those guys had something. Yeah, I know both those songs. I seem to remember seeing them. I believe it was on one of the Ozfests at at one point, and always a, a great show. Always a lot of energy on stage. And now that you mention it, always a a positive, uplifting message. You know, at least not being an ep- expert on the band, that's kind of how I I viewed them. There was always kind of a spiritual sense to their music and uh some some positivity which i think is is definitely needed in this world yeah it it absolutely is and it's 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 good to hear so we'll hear about that uh just before we get to that i just want to remind folks about a show that has nothing to do with pod or heavy montreal but uh, the dead daisies uh dean castronovo john karabi doug aldrich and 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 all the rest the friends of mine they are coming through a quick canadian run uh, starting august 23rd at uh, Harris Park in London, Ontario. Then August 24th at the Phoenix Concerts Theatre. August 25th at the Brass Monkey, a show that I will be at. And then in Montreal on August 26th at Fufoon Electrique. And I, of course, will be at that as well. So I'm looking forward to all of those. And uh, here we go. Without further ado, from the band P.O.D., it is singer Sonny Sandoval. We are speaking to Sonny Sandoval of POD. The band is currently on tour with Buck Cherry Lit and Alien Ant Farm, part of the Gen X Summer Tour, which I will be seeing in Watertown, New York on July 30th. Uh, Sonny, a great, great pleasure to talk to you. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been it's been a long time for the band that, that, that you've been out there. Let, let's start off with the obvious. Uh, talk to me about this pairing, because you did a tour uh, last year with uh, Alien Ant Farm. Uh, talk to me about this package and how it differs. We, we pretty much throughout our career tour with all these guys before at some point, but um, we got proposed with the idea of doing a summer tour, which is, I mean, we're all friends. We've been playing together for a long time. Um, you know, we're kind of the last of the platinum babies, you know, back in the day when MTV and, uh, you know, we all have uh, hits on the radio and it just sounded like, a, you know, a throwback kind of tour and uh so we wanted to do it it's been fun so far yeah i can imagine now last year you premiered a new song sound boy killer you haven't had an album out since 2015 Uh, i know you've signed a deal with mascot so so where does that Mm -hmm. put us in terms of new music is it something that we see by the fall or is it something that we see by the spring uh talk to me about that Definitely um, by the fall. We plan, it's actually being mixed right now. We plan to have it mastered um, before the end of July. And then usually there's a three to four month setup time, you know, to kind of get things going. So I'm look, I'm thinking maybe November, December, maybe just right before the holidays. Um, but yeah, we did, we signed a mascot. We kind of um, putting out records, on, you know, at our own discretion and, and just kind of still filling out how this game is working. You know, the music industry has completely changed. And uh, we put out Soundboy just as kind of a, a test to say, hey, we're writing new music, and yeah, we did it on our own. 
Well, you, you you mentioned about the record industry changing, and it certainly has. But when the band started releasing albums like uh, Snuff the Punk and Brown back in 94 and 95, 96, the record industry was changing at that time as well. You know, gone was hair metal. The influence of MTV was, was a lot less at that point. And then mm. talk to me about starting a band at that time, because the industry seems to have this turnover every 20 years. Right. <laughs> well... We had done, you know, we we were doing everything independently since 92. And then, um, you know, we had gotten record deals kind of throughout our, just as we were touring and, and playing shows. But, you know, we kind of held out for the right one. And then we finally got approached by Atlantic Records. And I want to say 98, um, we thought it was a good fit for us, you know. And then obviously they did their job. And I don't, I don't even think that they thought, we would do as well as we did. Um, we were just a, a working band and, uh, they put out our music and we had already had an established fan base. They're really, uh, they're the ones who really pushed us and helped and helped us, you know, from the MTV. And it was more of a fan base driven. We, we are, we are a fan base driven kind of band. And then, um, yeah, luckily we, we just kept touring and, um, with the help of Atlantic, we were allowed to do stuff internationally and put out records internationally. And so, um, it's kind of a rock and roll dream. It really is, though somewhere around 2008, 2009, you walked away from the rock and roll dream a little bit. The quote at the time was that mm-hmm. you needed to spend time with your family and revitalize your walk with God. Uh, talk to me about that. When you took that hiatus or you walked away, were you thinking, this is it, I'm done for good? Or did you always have in mind, no, no, give me a couple of years to breathe and, and we'll, we'll come back? <laughs> I mean, it was risky, you know what I mean? I and. For me, it was, uh, I didn't really know at the time. It was just, uh, you know, we had been, you know, we had kind of been to the moon and back, you know, and experiencing so many different things um, just in this industry alone, you know, all the games, all the politics, you know, uh, people that we had built relationships with in the industry, everyone's losing their jobs, you know, and then the labels are just looking for, you know, maybe some one hit wonders or to move on. Um, and so it was just, it was kind of mind blowing at the time, but you know, we were just businesses as usual, just kind of keeping it going. And so I think just for me personally, it was more about taking some time just to reflect, you know, on who who I am or who I'm, you know, I want to be. And, um, yeah, just taking that time and, and it it was risky, you know, it is, it is a gamble because you, you need to stay consistent in this game. Um, but at the time, it was just a, it was kind of a regrouping for everybody. Yeah, it really is risky because, uh, you know, uh, if you're not visible in the uh, yeah. music business, you don't exist. And if you don't exist, that's really, really bad. Uh, yeah. Right? Well, especially now with social media and everybody's on their phones, it's not really about music anymore. It's about what you look like and what your gimmick is. And, you know, do you look good on a snapshot? You know what I mean? And, 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 and we're not as, as shocking, you know, back in the day we were shocking. We're like these guys from the neighborhood, you know, brown guys in a rock and roll band, all, you know, tatted. And now, you know, there's females with more tattoos than me, you know, on their face. You know what I mean? So there's nothing shocking. And now, you know, you have 17 year old kids, 18 year old kids with their whole bodies tattooed. And, and so, you know, everybody's just kind of um, playing that game. And, you know, it's a, it's a social media vanity world. And so it's not really about your talent or your skills or, 
or your resume or what you've done. It's just about what, you know, how do I grab the attention of some 13, 14 year old kid right now with an iPhone? Yeah, you're, you're right now. Uh, talk to me about that sort of family rock star kind of balance, because, you know, you look at what's going on in social media, for example, with Tommy Lee and his son going toe to toe in social media, which is like mind blowing and you taking a break. And, and I know a lot of other guys, you know, the guys in Alice Cooper, they took some time off. So um, how do you balance the two, you know, being a father, being a dad, being with family and also being out on the road and being in Watertown on July 30th? Yeah. I, I mean, for me, it's definitely just personal. You know what I mean? Um, I don't think anyone in this band ever set out and said, Hey, I want to be a rock star. You know, like we just, we just love playing music. And sometimes it just, you know, it comes with the territory and then, you know, you just kind of get out there and you're supposed to be this thing, but it really comes down to your personal decisions. You know what I mean? And what, what's important to you. I think the fact that we've always been um, kind of grounded in our faith, um, you know, hopefully it helps us not slide off the deep end too much, you know, and, and, and it's always been, um, you know, it's always been our heart's desire to, to spread a, a message of love and of hope in a God that we believe in. And that's always kind of been the forefront of, of what we do. So for me, I just make personal decisions. You know, it's like, I'm the same with the guys, you know, we love our, our family, our friends, where we, where we come from. Um, and we just kind of want to survive in this rock and roll game. Yeah, it, it is tough to, to, to survive. Uh, talk to me about the, about faith and, and, and Christianity, because it is something that you have spoken about quite openly. You have uh, included it in lyrics and it's been very, very mm-hmm. on the forefront. And yet in the music business, that can be also a dangerous gamble. It could, it can alienate fans. It can bring other fans in. Um, just talk to me about that message and why it's so important to get it out there. And then maybe we can move into the whosoever's that you also are involved with. For sure. For sure. I mean, we, I think because of the kind of the genre and of music that we play and kind of coming from that underground scene, I think we were just very open about our faith. And so, you know, you get labeled as this Christian band. We never came out and said we're a Christian band or we never said anything. We just were playing music. You know, and and I think we've kind of learned throughout the years how to um, kind of, you know, relay that message in a way that is creative and artistic and try not to try not to be offensive, you know, to somebody that might be offended. Um, But this is our band, you know, and this is things that we want to say and people that we want to be. Again, it's always been on the forefront of our hearts to to kind of have this message, but we never wanted to be stuck in a in a box of you know, Christian box or even Christian music. Cause it's, it's not, it's not like we were getting, you know, 110% support from, you know, the Christian industry or Christian music. You know what I mean? We've always been the outcast. And so we kind of just played where we always felt we were wanted or even, even belonged. It was more people of the same kind of um, mindset that would come out to our shows and want to listen to our music and want to support us. It wasn't like a, a an institution or an organization that said, Oh, we, we support these guys because they're Christians. You know, it's, it's never been that way. We've always been too Christian for the secular world and we've never been Christian enough for the Christian industry. So we've always been kind of in the deadland of that. But then when we signed to a secular major label and started to sell real records, then everybody loves you, you know, and everybody wants kind of a, a piece of you. But 
you know, we've always just played where, wherever they'll, they'll have us and try and just, just trying to be who we are, you know, and I'm, I'm sure if we wanted to go make some gospel record, you know, we, we can probably sell more records in the Christian industry than, you know, than ever, than ever, especially now. But we still try, you know, we're still just trying to, we're just being who we are. Of course. Um, well, okay, so I'll get back to the whosoever's in a second. So since you mentioned major label and selling records, uh, let's look back real quick on uh, Satellite, which was released, of course, on September 11th, 2001, um, which we know, of course, uh, for another event. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, what, 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 a whew, yeah. Uh, talk to me about that album because that is the one that sort of broke you through. You went from, you know, the fundamental elements of, of, uh, South, South town, which was 51 on billboard. This one is six. It hits number one on the Christian charts. Um, what was it about that album in that time where just it, it hit home and people went, yeah, um, I, I, I get this band. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there was definitely a scene going on at that time. You know, I mean, a scene that I believe that POD really was one of the major pioneers in, you know, whether we get the credit or not. But at the time, you know, we had did platinum on our first record. And then, you know, we were just making a, a second record off Atlantic, not knowing what it would do. But at the time, we were still trying to stick to our roots, stay positive, keep what we were doing. And then we had, you know, we already had a song like Alive was on the, the, the radio charts. And then, you know, number one MTV video. Um, and so when 9-11 happened, which was the release date, you know, people started to recognize that, oh, this, this band is more than just some rock songs. You know, and, and we were one of a handful of bands that MTV and even, you know, the, the industry even cared to, to listen to at the time. You know, and I think that was, we were more proud of the fact that we were, being who we are and not, you know, they didn't want to hear from Slipknot. You know, they didn't want to hear from all those metal bands that were just, you know, promoting sex, drugs and rock and roll. They, every, the world was looking for meaning at the time, you know? And so I think one of our, again, our proudest moments is the fact that, that we were, we were that band that had something to say before 9-11. And while the world's looking for answers, you know, here we were kind of standing in there saying, yeah, well, we, here's some things that we know. We hope that this transfers through our music. Yeah, and 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 I think also just because of, of of the circumstance at the time, sort of the positive, life affirming or reaffirming message of the album really did strike strike a chord with the with a record buying public because people were like, I don't want to hear about death and destruction. Yeah. I want to hear about building, <laughs> right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Here's here's the big, you know, the biggest tragedy to hit American soil, and then. And everybody's looking for answers, and we have a number one song on radio called "Alive," you know. And and so that's what at the time, you know, Amer- at least Americans were were looking for that. And so we happen to be one of those bands that you know. And we we've, we've always tried to write feel good music. Not you know, there's a lot of bands that write more sad, somber songs. You know, depressing. We were always that band that wanted to write songs that made somebody smile or made made them feel good, um, you know, with with lyrics and content that still had depth. At the time, you know, here we are saying it it feels so good to be alive while you know our world is is, is going crazy right now. Yeah, well, so 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 talk to me then about the upcoming album. Uh, you know, a lot has been said about sort of this general malaise of, of the president this and the president that and what's going on in North Korea and, and, and the Middle East. And so, mm. um, 
are you tuned into that in terms of the new album lyrically? Or, you know, what sort of the message lyrically that you're looking at for the new album in, for, for folks? I mean, I think it's always kind of just uh, 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 the same. Um, I don't, you know, I'm not my stance on a lot of stuff. You know I mean? It's not always, it doesn't mean that POD is the platform to, to do that or to take that, you know? And I'm, and I'm definitely, we definitely, as far as music goes, and songs we've tried to as much as we can you know stay out of the, the political arena um and again in, in sometimes bands you know if that's what the kind of band they started out to be and that's what they want to do so be it but again it's like there's enough crazy stuff going on in this world it's like a lot of the way we approach music is is that this is a time to get away from that stuff obviously address issues and talk about things and be real but you know pod is never used our songs to be you know a political platform or you know but still current with things that are going on but we're more about hopefully trying to find a solution you know what i mean or, or offer hope than just pointing out you know the the obvious negative yeah i can see that now uh, let me get back to the whosoever something that you do with ryan rise and brian welsh of course of corn uh, talk to me about that outreach program and getting into schools and talking to the kids and you know, you look at, at you and Brian and, and you go, oh, rock stars, they, they're going to go home to Beverly Hills and sit by the pool and not care. But, <laughs> right? But but you don't. You do. Right. And, and you get into the school. So talk to me about that program and why you've been involved since 2008. For sure. Well, to, to go back to um, what you asked earlier, you know, just taking a little time off and, and really, again, just to reflect and kind of figure out a lot of... Uh, you know, my own personal stuff, um, kind of, that, that's really what, what birthed the, the whosoever's. And it wasn't meant, you know, just, we never said, oh, we're going to go in schools or we're going to do this. It really started off more as, as a brotherhood, you know, with guys that were like-minded, you know what I mean? And, um, whether it was, um, Brian or Ryan, who had come from the skateboard industry and, and all these guys that were trying to get their lives together and, you know, follow their faith and, and, and just needed some accountability really, you know, because I'm in the real world, you know, not everybody gets to be at church seven days a week or even work for a church, you know what I mean? Or stay in their little church box bubble. Um, here we are, we're real guys in the real world and, and we speak real, real language, you know, not, uh, not Christianese or, you know, church language. And we needed to be around real guys and say, hey, man, I, I believe and I want to follow, but it's tough. These are my struggles. And it's hard to be It's hard to be a rock star. It's hard to be, you know, this athlete over here with a celebrity or even, you know, these other celebrities that we're surrounded by. And it was just more of us saying, hey, let's, you know, let's, 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 it's a brotherhood and a sisterhood that we can call each other and, and pray for one another and encourage each other to do what's right. And, you know, it's just accountability. And then when we got some opportunities to kind of share our story that's kind of when it took it kind of took its form you know and we started getting asked from churches to to outreaches to to rehabs you know um to to even you know for all kinds of facilities saying just tell us your story and and you know, none of us are, are preachers you know and but it's the story that people are attracted to and i think you know us being you know celebrity if you want to call it or, or in a rock band Sometimes these 
we just capture these kids' attention just, you know, a little bit longer than some some guy that they don't know and who, you know, they might even be intimidated by that seems like he's got it all figured out because he's this this holy this holy guy, you know. And we're being honest and saying, man, I'm broken. You know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm kind of a broken mess. But through my faith and through the through the God that I believe in, you know, man, he's he's picking up the pieces. And I just want to share this this love with you. I want to I want to share this story. And so that's really kind of how it started. And it's been moving. And since then, you know, we've we've done outreaches, we've done big concerts, um, and now kind of we're in a season of having the opportunity to get into schools. And we just give away our you know our product. And sometimes we bring in, you know, bands and we bring in all kinds of pizzas to the inner city schools, you know, and these kids and feed them and hang out and, and just tell them our stories and hang out for a little bit. And um, it's been a really beautiful thing. And if anything, it's really blessed us being able to do it, you know, and it, it really is, it is selfless. It's just, it's just trying to give back um, out of humility and gratefulness for what we believe God has done for us. I can see that. And of course, uh, anybody listening, you can check out the uh, whosoevers.com for more information. I'll just say that again, the whosoevers.com. I, I do recommend that you check that out. And uh, Sonny, we'll, we'll wrap up with this. I mean, the band is, I mean, you're, you're, you're approaching 30 years in the business, right? We're at what, 26 <laughs> or 27 right now? Yeah, 26. Right. And, and when you hear 30 years, you, you think, you know, Rolling Stones, Paul McCartney, Kiss, and you know, POD, <laughs> right? It's, uh, just, That's crazy, isn't it? Though, so so talk to me just about about approaching that that huge landmark of thirty years. And do you do anything differently at this point? Are you still chasing a single? Or are you still, you know, is it all about the touring? Or can you sort of kick back now and appreciate the body of work and all the effort and just say, hey, I'm good with all of this? I mean, at, at the end of the day. And I've always said this from day one, if it ends tomorrow, I'm, I'm good with it, no matter what it is, because POD or music doesn't define who, who I am as a person. Um, really, I've always said that this is a vehicle to be able to, for me to kind of live out my faith and, and basically to share what I've learned and what I, what I've come to know is true in my faith in Jesus and, and never do I try to force it down anybody's neck, but it's it's something that I believe in strongly that I that I die for, and 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 as long as this is a vehicle to do that, I'll keep doing that. But at the end of the day, we still are hustling. We're you know the the great band you mentioned is a great category, but we don't have their kind of money. We've always been a working class kind of band, and now, you know, when you have to tour, you don't tour, you don't eat. But here we are approaching you know, 30 years. And, and I'm saying, man, I want to be home more. <laughs> you know, I want, I want to be home with my family. That's, that's who I am. That's what defines me. I'm a husband. I'm a daddy. You know, I'm, I'm a neighbor. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm a friend in my community and that's what brings me joy. And so I want to continue in those things. Um, and as long as, you know, like I said, I, I can be out here. I'm, I'm more than willing to do it, but you know, yeah, we, we're a working, working class band. Yeah. And, uh, and, but we'll keep riding it out until we, you know, till it ends. And a great band at that. And also, uh, I will give you this compliment. You are one of my wife's uh, favorite bands. She loves POD. Aww. When I told her I was talking to you today, she was like, oh, 
That's so exciting. Uh-huh. Yeah, that you know, awesome. isn't it though? Um, she, yeah, she loves uh, she loves you guys. Uh, the tour, <laughs> the Gen X summer tour, runs until, of course, uh, September seventh, and uh, I will see it in uh, Watertown, New York, on July thirtieth. Awesome. And uh, that day, I will be driving in from Montreal. I'm going to go have lunch with uh, Jeremy Popoff of Lit. You are more than welcome to join us if you want. And uh, I look awesome, forward to man. it. It's going to be it is going to be absolutely fantastic and uh thank you it for is, thank you for chatting today it was absolute pleasure oh for sure brother thanks for having me man look forward to seeing you cheers have a good one okay buddy you too thank you now back to rock talk with mitch lafon and a big thank you to sunny sandoval of pod the band is currently on tour on the gen x summer tour with buck cherry lit and alien and farm And uh, I will be seeing that show July 30th in Watertown, New York. Mark, uh, glad to have you back. Uh, Yeah, thanks for having me. By the way, Buck Cherry, uh, even though it has nothing to do with our next guest, but man, I love that band. I've put this 166-song playlist in my phone of Buck Cherry and and Joss Todd solo, and Wow, cool. Man, that that's what's getting me back and forth to these shows. You you, you hop in the car at 2 in the morning for a two-hour drive back to Montreal, and that, that just kicks your dairy, oh, yeah. kicks your butt. So uh, there you go. Um, let's get over to our next guest. It is Jesse Valenzuela of the band Gin Blossoms. I think you and I probably discovered them when they were part of the Kiss My Ass classic Kiss Regroove tribute album back in 94 where they right. covered – Christine is 16. I do talk to him about that, by the way, uh, in the interview. But, uh, you know, listen, the band is currently on tour with uh, Vertical Horizon and Tonic. So I do encourage fans to check that out. And uh, they are, of course, Mark, best known for their album, New Miserable Experience, that came back years and years ago. And, of course, that big, big song, Hey Jealousy, right? What a, What yeah. a great song. Yeah, I mean, I was working at VH1 back in those days, and they just, VH1 would just play that music video over and over and over again. It was such a big song. And you know what's weird? I just saw Steve Brown, who obviously a good friend of yours from Trickster and known for his recent work with Def Leppard. I saw him do a covers night in New Jersey at a club called 201, and and I'm fairly certain he covered that song in, in the set. It wasn't wow. just Van Halen and Def Leppard covers. You got that. But you also got like some 90s alternative and uh, gin blossoms and and spin doctors and stuff like that were definitely in Steve Brown's set. You see, so so that shows the the crossover appeal of yeah. of the gin blossoms. Now, their new album out now is called Mix Reality, and like I said, they're on tour with uh, Vertical Horizon and Tonic. But before we get over to Jesse Valenzuela for our little chit chat, uh, Mark. The Kiss My Ass classic Kiss regrooved album from '94. Right. Uh, it had Anthrax. Now I just saw Armored Saint recently in Montreal with John Bush, who was part of that Anthrax lineup at the time. They covered "She," one of the best covers of "She" ever. Um, but looking back, what were your impressions of the Kiss My Ass classic Kiss regrooved tribute album? I mean, there was right, right. There was some hit and miss. Garth Brooks doing "Hard Luck Woman." Garth Brooks, I should say, doing "Hard Luck Woman." Uh, stellar, right? Yeah, I, I I really liked that record. I so the version of Deuce that Lenny Kravitz did with Stevie Wonder. I mean, my God, Stevie Wonder on harmonica on that was so great and just 
put such a new spin on one of my favorite songs. And a lot of times when somebody will cover one of my favorite songs, I don't like it because it's not the original. That version of Deuce by Lenny Kravitz I thought was just great. And what else? Oh, Calling Dr. Love was with uh, Maynard from Tool and, yeah. and Tom Morello. I thought that was that was that was a lot of what was that? What was the name of that band? Shandy. Shandy's Addiction. Right. Right. <laughs> that was a fun cover, too. I really enjoyed that. Um, there were some songs on that record I really liked, and I was a fan of the record for sure. You know, what? now I've always thought this and, and this is one of these sort of random thoughts. But if they were called Shandy's Addiction, which means they're addicted to Shandy, shouldn't they have right. covered Shandy? <laughs> Good question. Right. Good I mean, question. if they were, yeah. if they're so addicted to Shandy, they should have been covering Shandy. One, one of the great lost Kiss tracks. Now, if you live in Australia, unmasked, yeah. Right. When Kiss comes to Australia, they'll play it. But God forbid that they um, play that for a North American crowd. I, I guess we're not worthy of the Shandy. Yeah, which uh, is a shame. I was such a, as you are, such a big fan of that unmasked record, which was more of a pop rock record but i thought i thought that was just an incredible record from it was start a, to finish. it was a fun record you know uh, they should play it more but i i do want to finish on this or or mention this strutter by extreme mm. right i mean gary right. sharon and 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 nuno and the and the band they did extreme uh, not extreme they did strutter in such a great version it, it was so i don't want to say it was so different but it, it was it was regrooved for the lack of a better yeah. word right Oh, yeah, definitely. Man, you, you have uh, really jarred my memory here. I need to pull that CD off the shelf and, and give it a spin. Oh, there's a lot of good stuff in that record. Yeah, and hopefully you'll thank me for that. Of course, uh, in 2013, I did my own Kiss tribute for mm -hmm. uh, a palliative care home here in Montreal that raised over 35000 It's called A World with Heroes, and if you haven't checked it out, it is there on iTunes, so do do go check that out. And while we're checking stuff out, let us check out my interview with the Gin Blossoms, Jesse Valenzuela. New album is Mixed Reality. Catch them on tour right now. Here is the one, the only, Jesse. We are speaking with Jesse Valenzuela of the Gin Blossoms. New album is Mixed Reality. Yeah. Did, did the pronunciation of the name work? It was beautiful. See, thank it you. It was beautiful. From the streets of Madrid. <laughs> See, I, I'm almost native yeah. Madridian. Is that is that is that what they call them? But pleasure to talk from to you La, from from La Calle de Madrid. Very well. But but a great pleasure to uh, to talk to you. I have in fact never in twenty some years uh, interviewed anyone from the Gin Blossoms. So this is actually a a thrill for me. And you know, as a as a Kiss fan, that's where I first sort of got to really dig into the Gin Blossoms when you did. Um, what was it, Christine 16 on that Kiss My Ass uh, tribute CD. So there's a lot to talk about between that and then mixed reality. So let's uh, sure. let, let's get started. So it's been a number of years since the last new album. Uh, talk to me about the sort of the interim and what happened in between. Uh, why wasn't there an urgency to get out new music? And now that we have new music, let's let's talk about that. So let, let's let's start off with that sort of what was it seven eight year period of there was no new music. It's funny, you know, people have been asking that question a little bit. Well, honestly, even in in uh, the height of our career uh, and and the other aspect of our career, uh, we didn't released that many records i think we only made two or three records and they were there were always years spans of time between records for us i think we're just uh 
slow-moving uh, band of turtles. But we're here now. So, so talk to me about this new album. Um, lyrically, what are we saying? Musically, what are we saying? You know, when you go into the studio as, and, you know, excuse the, the term, but a heritage act or, or, or a long-standing act, do you think to your early days and go, okay, we need to make an album that sounds like, you know, new miserable experience? Or do you say, no, we've been around for X amount of years. We can do whatever the, we want. Pretty much. I mean, I always thought that. Although I think that there was a there was a bunch of material that I that we didn't record that I had written. That I think probably now that the record's a couple years older for me, that I I wish we had pursued some of the, some slower tempo music that I had written. Um, but you know, if I bring material that the guys seem to gravitate towards, and it's tempo because tempo has always been a big part of the Jim Blossom sound. Um, and they like to play it. And, you know, with a tempo song, you're pretty much assured that it's probably going to make its way into the set list uh, easier than a, than a ballad. So um, I think maybe I might have missed the boat a little bit. and could have tried something. But it's OK. I'll, I'll, I'll survive. You'll survive. Um, does it get yeah. your does, does it get the uh, the. The, the creative juices flowing to start thinking about, well, maybe we should be faster than, you know, a slow moving turtle. And, and next year we should think about getting another one out there. Or is it more of the sense like, well, we've done this and that means we're good for another five years. I don't see a great, well, I, I don't see that many people waiting on bended knee for a brand new record after this one. It just doesn't seem to be the environment for it. Okay. Uh, having said that, I, I have a bunch of new material I'd love to record. Maybe, I think that this, the act of going to the studio with the guys would be fun enough. And, and maybe we just release them on, on, the, on the website or something like that. You know what I mean? Just make them available. Yeah. So, well, okay. So talk to me a little bit about, forget the mixed reality, the new reality of putting out records, that traditional distribution network of you go to the studio and it gets mixed and it goes to the record company and the record company promotes the heck out of it and you tour that model seems to have gone by the wayside. Is it better to just do the direct marketing and set up, you know, the ginblossoms.com and sell stuff straight through? Um, well, we made, we, yeah, that's a good question. And I don't know how to answer that. We, we make the record, then we put it out in the best, you know, in the best way we can, can find. And, um, and then he just sort of, I, I, I think it's going to reach the people who want it, right. but we're not going to be at top 40 radio right now. And, um, that's going to be a, kind of a difficult um, pursuit. So I think we just make them. Is is Top 40 Radio still essential to what bands do? Not even just the Gin Blossoms, but any band? I mean, does it really make a difference with, with so many outlets to get heard, whether it's Spotify or iTunes or, you know, YouTube? Uh, can you not find your audience... Otherwise, I think that they're doing that all the time. I think that the young people are. That's what's happening. But um, I don't know. I'm really out of that realm. I don't. I don't know what top forty radio is. Uh, I don't. I don't know what that even looks like. I mean, I, I, it looks like um, music for younger people, which is what it should be. Which is true. Um, so, so talk to me about the band's early days. Uh, you know, we, we came out of the '80s. And, you know, the poodle rock of nothing but a good time from Poison and Girls, Girls, Girls from Motley Crue. And, and there was a certain, uh, you know, uh, lyrically it was sort of pedestrian and, and sort of almost sophomoric. 
and then the 90s brought in sort of the deeper thinking lyrics and sometimes even the more uh, lugubrious or, or depressing lyrics. Uh, talk to me about going into that context and being sort of a 90s band and and, and what the atmosphere was at the time for you and, and lyrically what you were trying to say. I think there's a lot of sharing of feelings that can be a little embarrassing. Right. Does that make sense? Well, it does. Do, do you care to elaborate on that? You know, because I... I, I, I <laughs> You know, no, uh, but I mean, in lyrically, right? You know, well, it's like it was, it was a, a, an era. I mean, we certainly did it too. I mean, just a lot of, uh, you know, woe is me, uh, without without a lot of punch. I mean, I'm certainly guilty of it, right? Without a lot of, with moments of humor, but mostly, you know, what's the word you use? Lugubrious, dark. Yeah, that's a nice word. Yeah, it's right. a great song title. Maybe. I think it is a good song title. You should jot that down. Um, so I think that sometimes when I, I, I think, oh my gosh, I'm overwrought. And I'm guilty. I'm guilty. Yeah. Does it make, you know, when you look at some of the, the tours that are out there these days, especially the very successful ones, there's there's a great resurgence in that 80s rock, you know, the Poison tours and the Journey tours and all those tours. Um, is it harder for a band from the 90s to sell a tour to an older audience where it really is sort of this woe is me kind of message that comes through? Or do the fans sort of stick with you anyway and say, all right, this was still my youth. I'm with you. No, I think, I think, no, I think they celebrate it. I, 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 we haven't had any trouble ourselves with that. And I, I, I think maybe all those, all of those lyrics, um, I, I mean, I think it, 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 it's not high art, it's just, uh, it's for the most part, it's entertainment and a good, you know, music. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it is. It's entertainment. I mean, it wasn't a, it wasn't a moment of Leonard Cohen, one of your guys. One of my guys. Yes, yeah, great Montrealer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, we got to go. He's he's painted on a giant skyscraper up here. It's the greatest thing to see. Um, all right. So then, and, and he should be. Yes, absolutely. And he um, yeah, yeah. Hallelujah is, is one of the greatest tracks of any artist. It's a total. I mean, sort of like the Beatles yesterday. It doesn't matter who you are. You got to like those two songs. Um, all right. Oh, so, I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so, so, talk to me about this. this. My girlfriend. Go ahead. I was going to say, my girlfriend can cry if you if you put on Leonard Cohen, especially if she's cooking. Is, is that something that you do for amusement every so often? You just put on Leonard Cohen in the background. <laughs> <laughs> yes it can be fun yeah absolutely that's funny that is funny um so okay <laughs> it is funny so so talk to me about this this the a love for kiss i mean you were on this kiss my ass classic kiss regrooved album back in 94 how did that come about because as a kiss fan i looked at it and i went whoa look at this they're getting towed the wet sprocket and dinosaur jr and the lemon heads and gin blossoms and you're thinking why is this not Motley Crue, Poison, Rat, uh, and yet it worked? Well, uh, talk the, to me. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, well, because I, well, you know what? Nobody in the band really knew anything about Kiss except for Robin, our singer. I never had any records, so I don't know anything about the band. And um, in a commercial world, you, the, when they put together a project like that, they look for whoever's hottest at the moment and they and approach them and see if they'll make the record. You see what I'm saying? So if it had been ten years earlier, it would have been poison and motley crew and 
uh, this or that. Okay, so then since you're you you weren't a fan of the band, how did you approach that song, or how was the song chosen? Did somebody just come to you and say, "This is what you're going to do, and you better enjoy it," or, or did you sit through the albums and go, "Oh, okay, we could do this one"? Well, I since I had very little knowledge, I didn't really know their music that much. Um, uh, Robin, the singer, loved them, so he picked a song he really wanted to do, and then we just got the copy of the song and listened down to it. It was fun to do. It's a really clever song. It's put together really well. They're really smart guys. Yeah. They, uh, they... Gene and Paul, and, and we did Letterman show. Uh, I, yeah, we did the Letterman show with them. They came with us, and we played the show. Yeah, I remember that. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. But they're they're really... It, it was interesting to be around them, and and the song itself is really, like I say, it's put together fantastic. Yeah, it's I, a fun I, song to play, and I really enjoyed the fact that some of the the different bands got to play it because it it, it gave it a different um, what's the word texture to it or a different sort of uh, view upon the songs that I wouldn't have thought of. Whereas you know, had Motley Crue done it, it would have been you know, pedal to the metal, blah blah blah, and you know, rock out all night and. It, it really changed oh, them. Well, we tried our best. <laughs> well, you, you succeeded. Um, you were, you, uh, we did. But, you know, you're right. It was different to hear um, Toad the Wetzbrocker, the Jim Blossom's take on a Kiss track. And and I, I wouldn't be uh, adverse to hearing that again, but uh, let, let's talk about some of the stuff you've done outside of the Jim Blossom's, uh, having done... Uh, songs for uh, TV and soundtracks and stuff like that. You also, since we're we're talking Canadian, um, unless I'm wrong here, you're part of Not A Lot Going On, which is the uh, theme song to our great Canadian sitcom, Corner Gas. Um, sure. Right? It's a we proud have, moment. We have to talk about Corner Gas if you're, if you're Canadian. But, but, <laughs> but yeah. t- talk to me about writing songs and making songs that are, are that are, not for a Jin's Blossoms album, and sometimes just for a very, very, very commercial purpose. Uh, what's it like writing for soundtracks and, and, and projects like that? Um, well, you know, I kind of try to stay busy every day. Uh, not, not too much in the last year or so, but uh, still writing, you know, 10 to 15 songs a year, maybe. Um, and uh, uh, I just approach it like a job, and if somebody has something they, they need a song for, I'll try and write a couple and see if one of them answers. So, so is that the process? Um, you, you write a song and then submit it and hope it sticks? Or do they, do they come to you and say, we have this scene, look at it, be inspired by it, write for it? Well, it's worked in both regards. Sometimes it, it is that, that they send you a piece of film and you look at it and, and write to it. And I've had some success with that. And then other times it, maybe they just hit the that uh, they have a song of yours that they've been listening to for a while and they just like it. And that, and that, um, and that the director has already tempted into the, into the, into the TV show or the film and, um, they just fall in love with it. That's a great one when that happens. Yeah, it that's requires the... very small effort on my part. And, and that's always the, the, the best way to approach it. Um, John Hampton. Of course, music producer that was known for, for for his work with the Gin Blossoms, especially New Miserable Experience. He passed away, and of course, Mixed Reality, you brought in um, Dawn. Talk to me about what John Hampton meant to the band. Was he the one that understood the band the best and was able to capture the Gin Blossoms, or 
was he just sort of an added guy in the studio that, you know, he, he did what he did, but you can get along with somebody else. John was a real generous spirit and, uh, and, and, and he really patient uh, and he'd always worked with bands. So he knew the dynamic uh, of, uh, of all the warring factions that a band is, especially a young band likes to drink a lot. So, uh, he, he understood how to diffuse the situation really well and make sure that everyone felt like they were being heard. And, um, he was a really bright man. So, uh, and he's sort of a natural therapist. He had all the, uh, all the key ingredients to making a good record for us and for a lot of other people. He was a really talented guy. And I miss him every day. Was it, um, so, so then talk to me about going into the studio then with Don Dixon and Mitch Easter, by the way, I like his first name, Mitch. What a great name. Um, to there do, you go. I see. To do mixed reality, did you get in there and as you were doing the stuff and they were giving you feedback going, hey, wait a minute, John wouldn't say that to us. Or, you know, was it, I don't know, was it refreshing? Just, what was it like to have somebody else at the helm? Well, we haven't made a record with John in a long time and everybody's sort of making records on their own, you know. So um, at this stage, we're sort of all kg vets who not don't necessarily want to uh want to do anything besides what we want to do so having said that um i signed on to make a record with mitch and don and, and don and i are old friends and i've known him for a long time and worked with him on records before so i simply signed off and said well whatever don wants me to do i'll do and there was a couple of things that i thought well, i don't know I, I i didn't make my demo that way i don't necessarily think that's the right way but if he wants to do it it's his record you know he's producing it so i said sure why not let's do it and you know what in 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 those situations it's really just a matter of taste there's no right there's no right way or wrong way right but i mean that's what you're paying a producer for you're paying for his taste is it important to have a producer a lot of bands that as as they get older they self-produce and personally as a fan i go oh please don't do that we need a set of other ears just to situate you but am i wrong in that assessment that you need other ears or are you of the same mind that yeah it's good to have another pair in there to say okay guys i think if you i think if you're if you're honest with yourself you can it depends on the person right some guys have no problem producing themselves very easily and if you find and if you get yourself in a good trusting situation with an engineer and you can look at them and when you do have a question and you can see it in their face right away. Like, oh, that's a bad idea. And if you're willing to listen, I've been playing for so long and recording for so long that I kind of see things that, that um, they they sort of present themselves in one way to me. I, I like songs to, to sound as if they hadn't been written recently uh, and and not too overproduced. Overproduced is is, is terrible, especially bands that take you know ten or fourteen years to put out a new album. Um, Let's quickly go back in time to the new miserable experience. I, I know you've talked, you know, at nauseum about that album, but you know, looking back on it, were you surprised by the success, or at, when you made it, did you sit there and say, yes. "Sorry," um, you know, when you made it, did you sit there and say, "Man, if this 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 one doesn't hit, I don't know what we're going to do." What was sort of the feeling coming out of the studio on New Miserable Experience? Was it? We've done it. This is a hit, or no, I've done it all. I don't think anybody thought it was a hit. I thought it was pretty good, but um, I, I don't know. I, I'm not really. I'm not the best at predicting that sort of alchemy. 
So I, I think we just made it. We, I think, quite honestly, we, we got out of there, you know, by the skin of our teeth. So, and the record sort of took on a life of its own um, as we were touring it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it it did, and and it, it actually. And it was, I was just going to say it, sorry, it took a it, well, it took a while for for the fans to to gravitate to it. I mean, it, it's sort of a little bit like you know, Def Leppard with Hysteria or, or Guns N' Roses with Appetite for Destruction. It's like a year later, somebody, some DJ played a track and they go, oh, we forgot about this album. It's a great album, right? So you had sort of that slow burn as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. it wasn't until K-Fog in San Francisco and K-Rock in Los Angeles started to play it. <laughs> right, and... And, and, and it, was, it was a year and a half. That was a lot of, we, we stayed a lot of Red Roofs in during that year and a half. <laughs> Which aren't such a bad company. Mm. <laughs> Is that a Canadian company? No, but, uh, you know. But, <laughs> but, but it was amazing that after that, that, that uh, I mean, and I don't think that in this day and age, radio would have that effect. Now, if it doesn't stick within the first, you know, sort of week and a half, people have moved on to the next thing. So that, I think that's one of the greatest changes of the music industry is that, whether you look at Appetite for Destruction or Hysteria or New Miserable Experience, if they came out in 2018 and, you know, they weren't to hit by, you know, 10 days later. It no, was just... absolutely. And you know what? Taste in music has just completely changed in the last 30 years. I mean, I, I, I make a particular sound uh, and, um, and it's not, it's not of a popular note at this moment. Right. And, um, and it was always told to us by smarter people, you know, you can have your time. Uh, if you're lucky, you can have a, a, a really beautiful time um, where you could be popular, where you could sell records, where what you're doing will seem of importance uh, or certainly get the attention. Uh, and, and then you can play music for the rest of your life. And that was that was the prize. Do you see what I'm saying? So, yeah. so. So that brief time when you're really selling a lot of records and, and you're doing TV, it's really gravy. And the, uh, but the real victory is that you get to be a musician for the rest of your day. And having a and having a music career is is exceptionally uh, difficult and and very rare when you think about it. Um, you know, trying to be around for 20, 30 years is not the easiest thing. So so in fact, just quickly talk to me about that. In in of course 1997. Uh, the history has been laid, and we know the story. The band broke up. You all went your separate ways. Um, was that necessary to do, or looking back on it, you could have maybe made a concession here and there on, on, on whoever side and, and kept going, or did it help, in fact, re-energize the band to, to not be in each other's world for a few years? I think that it was just sort of uh, overplayed, I honestly we'll probably just sort of just not even said anything. Just everybody just go away from each other for a year, but it didn't work that way. It worked the way it did, and that's fine. Yeah, and of course you're back now. Uh, the tour this summer, of course, is with uh, Tonic and Vertical Horizon. Uh, just talk to me quickly about yeah. that. Yep. Well, we've been together longer now than we were the first time. Right. Yeah. It's so well. So it's been a long time with those guys. <laughs> is it time for another break? Do you do you do you need to step away for a bit? It's time for no. Um, is it time for another break? Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> I better not say anything. 
we'll we'll take that as no, no, no comments. It's actually working. We have a new manager and a new team, and uh, they've kind of figured out a way to keep us on the road without killing each other and get home for a little uh, a little downtime. But, but we work a lot. We 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 play over 100 shows a year, which is which is remarkable. So so just quickly, uh, a couple of quotes or a couple of words about this tonic and vertical horizon tour with the gin blossoms. Uh, that's that's a strong package. I mean, if you're looking at at, at at the bands there, that's that's some of the best of the '90s, right there. It is kind of a celebrate the '90s. Um, well, it's a good show. There's some there's some full frontal nudity towards the beginning of the show, which is uh, important. And then, uh, and then the and then uh, Emerson from Tonic reads from his manifesto. It works out pretty good. You see, I wouldn't expect anything different from a 90s show, quite frankly. It needs to have a little woe is me, a little manifesto, right? Uh, you, you know. Yeah, that, it's, a real, it's a real political diatribe. I'm, I'm proud of it. Yeah, which, which, is, which makes sense. Very different than what Poison is selling, so that's good. Uh, <laughs> I, think it's a, I think it's exactly the same as what Poison is selling. That's so funny. I, I love that even using them as a reference, but... I, I kind of like that music. I think it's fun. And I, 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 it sounds like you do, too. I, I do, too. And, and quite frankly, the only reason I'm referencing it today is that the last... <laughs> no, but the last two shows I've seen, uh, I saw uh, Sebastian Bach yesterday in Ottawa, and I was in Pennsylvania on Saturday with Poison. I was a guest of Ricky Rocket. And it, it, listen, it was a great night. Them and Cheap Trick. And, and... Oh, that yeah. sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, I know, and I love I love Ottawa. What a great town! Ottawa, Ottawa's a great town, and and quite frankly, I I don't see what I, I don't see the gin blossoms being that different than, for example, Cheap Trick that was opening up in the sense that you've you've both sort of always done what you wanted to do. Uh, you know, singles came to you. You never chased singles. Um, you know, there's there's an honesty in what both of the bands do, and that that's one thing I have to to appreciate about the Gin Blossoms is the honesty. I don't I don't think you've ever written a song to chase a single, or you've ever written a song to chase radio, and 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 I have a lot of respect for that. Oh well, thank you. No, and you know what, uh, 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 Cheap Trick has has been sort of a model for us because well, they just kind of kept their head down and, and kept working, and they kind of in and out of vogue because. You know, tastes change, but um, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, I'm, I'm 30 years in. I'm 56 years old. Um, I mean, I'm more than that. I've been playing in bars since I was a kid. So this is what I do, and um, it's difficult. It would be really crazy to chameleon and try and chase uh, chase different sounds to stay current. So well, we just kind of do what we think we're pretty good at. And maybe a little, if I if I could be self-critical, I think maybe we don't don't try hard enough to do something a little bit different sometimes, uh, which we're working on. But at the end of the day, our career has been a, a live music and a performance career. Um, you know, we, we were lucky to sell some records, yeah. quite a few records, right? But that was, you know, 25 years ago. Um, and so now my career is performance and, and we try to put on a good show every night. We try to be patient with each other as partners in a, in a long time business. And, 
and we try to be respectful to the people who come out and see the show. Yep. And, and I don't mean to sound too earnest, but that's kind of, if you distill it down, that's really, that's the whole deal for me. Yeah, And, and it's a good deal. And uh, I'll, I'll end on this uh, as we approach uh, half an hour here is uh, you did the uh, Northy Valenzuela, if I said that right, album back in, in <laughs> 2000. Yeah. Right? I'm trying my best. In 2004. Uh, is, is that something that you would like to do again with Craig? Is do a second one? Oh, well, good. I'm glad you touched on Craig because he's one of my favorite people in the world. And he's just a, such a talent. Um, yeah, Craig and I just wrote, I, I'm making a new record right now. And we just wrote a new, we wrote two new songs for it. And I just recorded the first one called Someone's Gonna Break Your Heart, which is a beautiful song. And Craig, who's become kind of the Mike Post of Canadian TV, uh, produced the track for me and he put on this lovely string arrangement. And I, I'm just I'm just really knocked out by it. So I think that I'm going to release that next month. I'm just going to do a song a month until the record is completed at 10. And then I'll burn it up into a CD and send it to uh, send it to everyone. Oh, that sounds great. And of course, the, the one thing I like about uh, Craig is that he does a lot of his work with... Um, Pat Stewart, who was the drummer on Brian Adams' oh. Reckless album, and that is one of the greatest albums ever made. So you got to like that connection. Pat Stewart. Yeah. I love Pat and Doug Elliott and Murray, all the guys in the odds now. And uh, Pat Stewart played on the record I made with Craig. And That's right. Pat Stewart's work with, yeah, and Pat Stewart's work with Brian Adams was beautiful. And he's just a fantastic drummer. Yeah. In fact, I just saw a Canadian drummer the other day named Matt Starr. You know him? Yes, Matt Starr, who played with Ace Fraley and Mr. Big. Uh, different Matt Starr. Different Matt Starr. Okay, then I don't know that this, Matt Starr. This, 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 this is the young, young Matt Starr from uh, Toronto. Um, I just saw him play the other night. He was a beautiful drummer. Oh, I'm going to have to check him out. Because, I, I mean, I know, I know Matt Starr, who, who, who's doing the stuff with Mr. Big these days. But So this is a different one. Canadian boy. Okay. Different Matt Starr. That's funny that there's two of them out there, two drummers. But uh, okay, I'll, I will, I will definitely follow up on that. And uh, boy, at some point, uh, if you if you can ever connect Pat Stewart to me, I'd love to interview him about his his brief stint with with uh, Brian and and that Reckless album because that was, and that is uh, one of the greatest Canadian albums oh, ever made. Oh, you know what? You should reach out. You should reach out to the Odds Management. Okay. Um, because talking to Pat Stewart would be joyous and you would you would have a lot of laughs i can guarantee that oh yeah yeah i would i, I would and in fact i'm not yeah. even kidding you i have reckless sitting right here next to the you know, computer so that's that's no, how no. much and, and you know he when pat made that record he was just a kid yeah. he was very young all of them were but he's a brilliant he's a brilliant drummer oh absolutely was and uh and, and let me just wrap up on this last 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 question here uh, in the early days, you had, and maybe this is not the proper term, but you had sort of been pegged to be the Gin Blossom singer, and then you sort of said, no, nope, we're going to let Robin do it. Um, what what was the decision there? Was it just you didn't feel you had the voice for it, or you were stage fright, or Robin's a better singer? I mean, like, what was sort of the... What was sort of I think that, that his... I think, I think it was just that um, different kinds of singers, and I think that his... his, his his timber just defined the sound, right? Because uh, my voice is a little more singer-songwriter. It's a little, uh, a little softer in, in range or uh, in element. 
And um, and and then there was the another issue because uh, he was playing guitar, and it, he was having he he himself was not satisfied that it was not his first instrument. Do you see what I'm saying? Right. So it seemed like a very smart, easy transition. And it worked out. It's <laughs> yeah, it worked out. It worked out pretty good, didn't it? Right. I mean, you know, what are we what are we looking at here? Uh, when did you start? You were active from what, 86, 87? So you're looking at 31, 32 years about? I'd yeah, say, yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd say it worked out. Yeah, and the guy. Yeah, and the guys will let me sing a song every once in a while, so it's all good. <laughs> Everybody's happy. Um, Jess, an absolute pleasure today. Uh, thank you thank you for taking the time, and I certainly hope there will be some Canadian gin blossom dates at some point. And uh, if you ever come I to think Montreal. there is. Oh, good. Well, when you come... And, and, uh, and, I'm sorry, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, when you come to Montreal, I'll be happy to show you around if you need. Uh be my greatest pleasure. I, I would love that. Uh, and... Um... So, uh, turn on Corner Gas. Yes. And, well, yeah. by the way, I guess the song's also in the Corner Gas movie, right? I would I would have to think. It is in the, it's in the movie and the cartoon, so. Oh, you've got, you've cornered the cornered gas market. That's, that's fantastic. Very good. But make sure you call and, and talk to uh, Pat Stewart. He would yes. love it. And you would too. Oh, I would love that too. In fact, he, I I met him back in 1985 at a Brian Adams show in Montreal. I was r- randomly walking around backstage, and he popped out, and we had a brief, you know, hey, how's it going? Great show tonight, and you know, it's kind of memories that that never fade, right? So, be lo- lovely to to talk to him. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for the time, man. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jesse. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Cheers now. Bye-bye. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.